0: Let's go. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, if you will. Uh, We started last week talking about the theme of the year, which is going to be the grace reset. And uh, as we uh, begin to look at some different issues, um, as we kind of reset our thinking about uh, our walk, our life in Christ, and and our everyday thing, you know, life has its uh, ups and downs, you know, the ebbs and the flows. And when you think about... That and we think about this ministry here, our local assembly. I, I told you we have a we have a verse. Uh, if you I know I told you 2 Timothy, but look over with me at 2 Corinthians 4, kind of our 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 ministry verse, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. And that's what we're not going to do. This morning, we're going to talk about our kind of our underlining motto, our pitch. Our motto here used to be, the church that preaches what the Bible teaches, rightly divided. Okay? And it made everybody go, huh? Well, now we have that motto, but we also have another one, which is this morning, what saith the Scripture? What does the verses say? What does the Scripture say? That's going to be our guiding light. Why? Because, but by the manifestation of the what? The truth. That's what we're gonna, that's what we're after, is the truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The last thing I want to do is to be out of the truth, be wrong, if you will, okay? Last thing I want you to do is to grow and, to, and, and not be accurate. It doesn't mean we have to say the same thing the same way. It just means we're on the same common, Paul in Romans 1 calls it the mutual faith, okay? And we're there. If you come, you're in 2 Corinthians, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 24, okay, here's my verse, ministry-wise, with you. Now, I have other verses that I like, uh, I, I, you know, 1 Corinthians, in oh, different verses that I enjoy using, and sometimes I pin them at the end of, uh, of my uh, emails and so forth really i kind of do it in the in the text but not for that we have dominion over your faith but are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand my job is to be a helper of your joy why cuz by faith you're going to stand cuz you 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 know life is that way life gets you here today gone tomorrow you're over here doing something else you're here you're back and forth so wh- wherever you go in life what do you need to do you need to be able to stand I'll come to 2 Timothy 2. So as we get going here this year, at least the first uh, six months of the year, and we're looking at some things, the reset that has to happen in our thinking is to ask the question, what saith the Scripture? Okay? I've got a room at home full of books. I have a room and a half here full of books. Okay? Okay? I love books. They're my friends. They don't they never apostasize. They never leave me. They never argue with me. <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they don't tell me. They they're always there. They don't and they're great. And I enjoy them. I enjoy reading. I enjoy looking at them. I enjoy studying. But when it comes to my truth, my faith, my doctrine, it's right here. What saith the scripture? What does the verse say? And when you begin to do that, The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about that. 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, Paul says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Think about what what that verse says. Consider what I say. See, isn't that interesting? Now, by by the inspiration, the pen of the Holy Spirit, using Paul as the writer, Consider what I say. And the Lord give the understanding and what? All things. Not some things, not just this, that, but all things. So when you come to the canon of Scripture, when you come to the totality of the 66 books, you have to approach it from Paul's perspective. Because if I'm going to get understanding in all things, the other night, in our study in Mark on Wednesday night, we're in Mark thirteen. In Mark 13, verse 14, is a pivotal change in the little flock's ministry during the tribulation and into the 70th week of Daniel. And that pivotal tribulation that pivotal moment in Israel in the little flock's ministry. They've been out preaching and publishing the word and proclaiming the word in the the area. And then in the midst of that week, there's there's the abomination of desolation set up. The idol that the false prophet causes the the world to worship is set up. In Scripture, abomination is always connected to idolatry, idol worshiping. And, And it says, that Daniel the prophet spoke of. I go, wow. Notice Daniel is a prophet. He's not a historian. (laughs) Wonderful thing there. Daniel in the Critics' Den, he's always a historian. He's never a prophet. He's a prophet. Then he says, let's whoever readeth understand. So I'm sitting there going, well, I can understand that. But the first thing I understand is that stuff isn't me. It's who? Who? It's Israel. It's the 70th week of Daniel. It's the Antichrist. It's the time schedule. And literally, if you go back and look at Wednesday nights, we covered this chalkboard and stuff and trying to understand. Here's what's going on. And we, but you know what? I never, we, I never thought for a moment, nor did I teach for a moment that this was us. Why? We're not appointed under wrath. I love appointed in the appointment book. Why? Well, who told me that? Paul did. Why? He's my apostle. So when I consider what Paul says, by the way, Paul to Thessalonians says, you guys know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. There's no, Paul taught prophecy, but in, not in fulfillment in the day, but as in a future event, and we're not a part of it, but what do we need to do? We understand we're not children of the night, we're children of the day. We're over here. And the thing is, is what saith the scripture? That's the question. And when I look at it, I'm going to look at it through Paul's viewfinder, Paul's filter. And I'm going to do that because if I want to have understanding in all things, by the way, the Lord never says, consider what I say and I give you understanding in all things. Peter doesn't say that. The two big guys, everybody, you remember in 1 Corinthians, some say I'm of Apollos, some Cephas, some Paul, and some who? The Lord, those four sects, how religion breaks up today in the age of grace. And Paul's, none of those guys, Paul's the only one that says, you consider what I say and I give you understanding in all things. Why? Because he's going to fulfill, he's going to fill up, he's going to complete the canon of scripture. He's going to bring in the capstone of the progressive revelation and he's going to put a cap on it and he's going to say it is done. When he says, I finished my course, part of his course as the apostle of the Gentiles is to complete the canon of Scripture. 2 Timothy, when he ends and he writes it and he says, all Scripture is given. Guess what? It's done. So now I know something. Now I know over here when I hear all of the hoop de doo the Pentecostal and the Charismatics and the the tongue talk, I know what? I know that that's not what God's doing. If it's resetting my thinking. I'm, how am I going to look at this? Because two times Paul said, asked that question. In Romans 4, he says, What saith the Scripture? In Galatians 4, he says, What saith the Scripture? I just want to look at them with you this morning. Okay? Look over with me at Romans 4. Because the question that he asked, he's asking a question that is vital in our walk. As believers, Romans four, verse number three. For what saith the Scripture? By the way, that is on a wooden sign outside the double doors as you come into this room. I went was at the fair and there's a woodworking guy there and guess what? I said, hey, can you make this for me? He goes, I can do whatever you want. It'll be fifty bucks. I said, all right, cool, fifty dollars. You know, it's the fair. You know, where's the fair discount? He goes, that is. It would have been 75. I'm like, 75 for that? No. No. Why? Because when you come in here, what are we going to be doing? Not what Rick says. What saith the Scripture? Now watch what he does here. What saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What is the issue with God? What did Abraham do? He believed. The issue of your justification, when when it concerns your justification unto eternal life, what does the Scripture say? What's the issue? Faith. Believing. That's the issue. Not you doing, not you trying to work it out, not you trying to come over here and, and, and do something to please God. God says, just believe me. The answer to our salvation, our justification, because that's where we're at in Romans 4. The answer to sin and death is what? Believe God. What did Abraham believe God? Now, again, you go back to Genesis 15. And what did Abraham believe that God told him? You're going to have a boy. And he believed him. Then he went out and tried to help. By the way, that's what verse 2 is about. For if Abraham were justified by the by works, verse one, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, is pertaining to the flesh? Hath found what Abraham tried to do? He went into Hagar, he had Ishmael, and you know what God said? No, I am not accepting the works of your flesh. I told you I'm going to do this, and you're going to have, and I'll take care of it. And Abraham did what? He believed God. But what did Abraham learn? Flesh ain't going to get the job done. Your activity, your works isn't getting the job done. What's getting the job done? Faith in the word of God to you in the moment. That's what gets the job done. You see, our justification unto eternal life rests in our in the object of our faith. Faith, faith is, that, is, is a, it's just a, we all have it. When you sat in that pew, you had faith that it would what hold you up. Now, some of you I saw the legs off, and you don't know that yet because it hadn't collapsed. But you don't know. See, the ob faith has to have an object. See, your object of your faith—that's the issue. That's the critical part. He's our object. You see, our faith—the object of our faith—is his death burial, and resurrection. It's his activity where he dealt completely with our sin problem. Then he gives us his life. Then he equips us. And it's fascinating that right as he gets to the conclusion of this first foundational pillar of the book of Romans, which is about our justification, come back to chapter 1, okay, of Romans. Romans he says, just as he gets to the end of it, he says, listen guys, the issue is faith. The issue is not you. The issue is what I have accomplished. The issue is the obedience of Christ unto death. That's the issue. Not you. You're going to trust him. Why? Because he's worthy to be believed. That's who he is. It starts, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Notice, what's been revealed from heaven? The wrath of God. Now, he hasn't sent down bolts of lightning and zapped people, because he's not imputing, he's not doing that. But what has he revealed in the pages of his scripture? through Paul's epistles. What did he reveal? The wrath of God. Do you know what the wrath of God on you today is as an unbeliever? Keep reading. Verse 24, wherefore God also, what? Gave them up. Isn't that interesting? He gave them up. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up. Verse 28, in the middle of the verse, God gave them over to a reprobate. Do you know what the wrath of God on the Gentile on the world today is? He gave you up. Wow. Not blast you out of heaven with radar, you know. Not send a flood that you carries you away. Not send pestilence in amongst you so you're sick and dying. He didn't send COVID to correct everything. What did he do? He let the Gentiles, Genesis 11, just go on their own. He gave them up. He gave them over. He let them go. And then he reaches over and he says, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to send my son. Isn't that interesting? It, just, it blows me away. The wrath of God. Everybody go, wrath of God. And, it's coming. You know, we're Moses and Charlton Heston and all that stuff. No, not at all. I think of the comedy movies, the, the history of the world part one. <laughs> it's what I think of, okay. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And they're fishing and Jesus comes up and part, no, you can't fish that way. <laughs> anyway, huh, Sorry. <laughs> My humor is showing through. <laughs> but no, what did he do? He gave him up. He let him go. Chapter 2, what did he do in chapter 2? He says, hey, it doesn't matter whether you're a good person or not. God's not a respecter of persons. What are you? You're a sinner. You're guilty. Chapter 3, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not. Guess what? You're guilty. You're a sinner. Jews, you're sons of Adam. You're guilty. Look at verse 9. 3, 9, Romans 3 9. What then? Are we, that's the Jews, Israel, better than they, the Gentiles? But wait a minute, Genesis 12 through, uh, the Jews were, weren't they? Paul looks at Peter over there in Galatians 2, and just a great comment, passing comment. He says, verse 15 who we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the gentiles the Jews would look at the, themselves as never being sinners it would never cross their mind in a Jew in the old testament to say i am a sinner they never thought that way what's that gentile do that that guy do in the and that publican do over there in the, uh, in the temple, man, consider, forgive me, I'm a sinner. He identified it. That Israelite, that leader over there, he's like, oh, I've tithed on the mint and the anise and all this stuff. And, oh, look how great I am. And Jesus says, that guy, the publican, he goes home justified. Why? Because he recognized his sin issue, the spiritual condition. What did the Jews say? We're not as those Gentiles. They're sinners. We're God's people. Paul says, no. You know what we've concluded? Verse 9, Romans 3, 9. We have before proved, both Jew and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Paul goes into that courtroom. I told you, the book of Romans is a courtroom. It's a legal treatise here. And he proves the case that it doesn't matter what camp you're in, whether you're a heathen of the heathen, chapter 1, whether you are a Boy Scout and lived a good life, chapter 2, first half, or the Jew, end of chapter 2, first of 3, it doesn't matter. What matters is is you are guilty. You're a sinner. <gasps> well, you know, Rick, we can't say that kind of stuff because it will hurt people's feelings. Well, you know what? Then they, their feelings need to be hurt. It's called the offense of the cross. By the way, you know why the cross is offensive? is isn't because you tell people that they are dying and going to hell and they're lost. You know why it's offensive? Because you're telling people they can't do anything. Because what does man want to do? Something. Just give me something. You know know what the cross says? Nope. Can't do it. Because if you do it, it's telling God he didn't do enough. And God says it is finished. I did it all. That's why the cross is offensive, by the way. Not because you tell somebody they're going to hell. They're a loser. I get emails. We well, shouldn't use that word, loser. Well, pfft, the loser, <laughs> that's what you are. Sorry. Well, let's see, I'll get another one. I, I I know who it's coming from. Okay, it's okay. No, not my mom. <laughs> no, no, my mom will get me for wearing patents <laughs> No, uh, that that was good. That, I like. Yeah, but maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'll run interference. I'll run the filter up. No, mom, feel. <laughs> No, why? Because you're guilty. Verse 19, I, I, I love these, ver, three, Romans 3, 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be, what, stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Think about that. Here Paul lays out. He's in the courtroom of humanity. And he lays the case out against humanity. And humanity is running the objections. Well, we never knew. Yeah, you did know. You knew it from creation. Romans 1, 19 and 20. Well, we didn't know. We had the oracles of God. Yeah, and he talked about the fact that you're a sinner and you can't do the law. You can't keep the law. You need help. And you just didn't believe it. And you know what finally God says? Shut up. Stop. Verse 19, stop, you're guilty. Think about that. The Lord gave man every opportunity to lay out his defense. And at every turn, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. And finally, God the Father says, shut up. Stop. We don't use the shut up word, I'm sorry. But that's, stop, enough. You're guilty. Verse 21, but now. Ooh. What did the law do to the world? It made him guilty. 19 and 20. What did the law do? By the law is the knowledge of sin. What did the law do? The law comes in. The law, every time, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. It never gives you the remedy for the guilt. If the blood of bulls and goats brought forgiveness, it would have been done once. It wasn't though. When how many times did they have to bring the sacrifice? At least every year, once a year. Bring it in. You're in trouble, Joel. See, you know? No, what did the law? But now, look at verse 21. Boy, great dispensational change here. The law. You're guilty. You're guilty. Stop. Shut up. You think keeping the law is gonna get it? You're guilty, but the But now the righteousness of God, notice, without the law is manifest. Wow, what a wonderful change. What saith the Scriptures concerning your justification? It isn't keeping the law. You're guilty. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You know what the law and the prophets witness? That the law is the righteousness of God. The right, the law is righteous, folks. It is the law of God. That's what the prophets in the the Old Testament. That's what they're saying. It's righteous. Even the righteousness of God. Now watch verse twenty-two, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all. And upon all them that what, ain't hey, there? We are back to Romans four three. What saith the scripture? Abraham did what? Believe God. You want to have justification unto eternal life. You know what you have to do? It ain't I. I got to believe God. What did God say? God says you can't keep the law. God says the law makes you guilty. The law shuts you down. If I said you get saved by walking the aisle. Now think about what I just said. What, did, what, what, what law did I just lay down? you have to walk the aisle but i didn't say how to walk the aisle did i so now we have an addendum to the law you have to walk the aisle and you got to start with the left foot in shake it all about and then the right foot in and shake. you got to do it and oh by the way is it one shake or two shakes is it shake it to the left shake it to the right which way is it fight 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 you know what is it now, it's, see how all of a sudden it got down to, well, he didn't say start with the left heel. You know? He didn't do it. So, see how crazy. God says, no! You just have to believe. And what did I just say? What am I going to say to you? By the faith of who? By the faith of Jesus Christ. All the new Bibles make that faith in Jesus Christ. You're not saved by that. Your justification rests in his faithfulness. Now, we'll get to your faith in Christ in in a minute, but here he's not talking about that. The context says it's his faithfulness. By the way, it's available unto all, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? The righteousness of God is available to everyone. There kills Calvin, just FYI. Okay, but then it says, and upon all them that believe. We believe in the living God, don't we? We believe that the verse in Timothy, I'm trying to think of it, and it just slipped through my brain. I'll find it here. I hope I find it. We try, especially them that believe. What's that verse? First. Oh, it's supposed to be in First Timothy. First Timothy four, now that we've delayed, verse ten. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Now, if the verse ended there, then we're set. But it doesn't. There's a comma, especially of those that believe. It's available unto all, but who does it get applied to? Upon all them that believe. So here we have the righteousness of God available to who? Everybody. Romans 3. But only going to get applied to, imputed to, placed in the account of those that do what? Believe. And what are they going to believe? Well, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely, justified freely. That means I didn't do anything. You know what that means? The law made me guilty, and the answer is Calvary. That's wonderful. What saith the Scripture? Abraham did what? Believe God. If I'm going to obey the Scripture, what am I going to believe God in concerning my justification? He did it. He took care of it. He rested. Verse twenty-five: Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Do you know what God the Father did in that courtroom, as man is arguing, and and finally God just says, "Stop! Enough! You're guilty," and the penalty, the wages of sin, is what death, right? So you're going to die. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that sentence of death on my son. He's the propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation, fully satisfying payment, sacrifice. He's died your death. And you just need to believe that that activity of him, his activity, took care of you. You follow me? I believe God. That's all he did. That's wonderful. To declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God that's past is not your path. By the way, all of your sins were future of Calvary. Just FYI. Okay, the sins of the past here is the Old Testament. What did he? What did God know? That who did God know was coming? He knew his son was coming. I know what happens. The preachers all say. The Old Testament saints looked forward to Calvary. No, they did not. Peter is very clear that the things that they wrote aforetime time concerning the sufferings of Christ and the glory that shall be revealed, they understood none of it. Sorry. What say the Scripture? They didn't look forward to Calvary. Peter's very clear in Acts 2. Calvary was a death sentence. For them, wicked hands you crucified, and he's going to clean your clock for doing it. You know who looked forward to Calvary? The Godhead did, because they knew that's what was going to come. Chapter four, verse five. Verse, yeah, verse five. I got to get going here. Verse five. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. I love verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, notice, without works. You go back and read David when he committed the sin with Bathsheba and the murder. As king, under the law, he was to be killed, put to death. For both crimes, by the way. Yet Nathan comes to him and says, nope, you're the guy. You did it. And you know what? you remember, David? Against thee and thee alone I have sinned. That contrite heart acknowledging what he had done had been a sin against God and God's word. And he knew that what was required of God's word was him to be put to death. And Nathan came in and God through Nathan says, no, you are what? You're forgiven. Verse 7, saying, blessed are they Whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You know, David never understood how and on what basis he could do it, but you and I do. Chapter 3, verse 25, through the forbearance of God, the sins of the past. You know what Nathan and David never understood? How God the Father, how God the Son, how God the Holy Spirit could say, You're good to go, carry on, you messed up, you acknowledge it, you're okay. And he, blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute. That's Psalms 32, Psalms 103. How could that be? They never understood that. Why? You and I do by looking back through whose eyes, Paul. And we can see God's grace in the moment as God looked towards Calvary coming and said, I'm going to put that sin right there. You're good to go. And that, that's wonderful. That's rich. David didn't understand it. David's ducking. He's like, whoo, duck the big one there. Actually, David was a louse of a dad. You go read his story. It's wonderful what your Bible doesn't hide the sins of its heroes. Chapter 4. By the way, look at verse 17. In that light, verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, talking about Abraham before him whom he believed. Now watch, even God, who quickeneth the dead, now watch, and calleth those things which be not as what? You need to remember that. Because when you get it in your head that this isn't how it's what God can't do it this way, and you begin to reject And you begin to look around and you begin to say, that's not what he's been. You know what? That's not who I am in Christ. When we talk about who you are and we talk about the grace life and we talk about being justified and we have the peace of God and we have this and we have that. And we begin to study those out. You know what God says? God looks at you and he says, you know where you are? You're seated in the heavenly places. And yet, in reality, where are we? We're stuck down here in the nasty now and now, right? But God looks at those things. He calls those things which be not... As what as they are so here you are justified what did he look at David David should have been put to death he called David what forgiven he called David safe and secure now David was like oh man I'm ducking it but in God's eyes where was he he was blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin you need to remember that when you look around and you look at things and you read God say that you're dead to sin Romans 6 you know what you are? You're dead to sin. That's what you are. That's why in Romans 6, verse 11, he'll say, reckon it to be so. You've got to adjust your thinking to match his thinking. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord. Folks, you're not at all. What, how did 118 start? The wrath of God is revealed. At the end of the section, what are you? You're at peace with God. Why? Because you're in His Son. By whom? Verse 2. Also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know what he does? He says, you're justified. How? By believing me. And guess what? I'm going to equip you, and I'm going to get you going. That's wonderful. Now come over to Galatians, because... We got fifteen minutes to do a whole bunch in Galatians (laughs) four. You see, folks, he he gave the the answer to your justification, what saith the scripture? Believe God. The answer to your equipping, what saith the scripture? Believe God. Why? Because when he looks at you, he sees you as an adult in your in his family. Adults continue to learn, doesn't mean you know it all, but he's going to deal with you as what? As adults. Not as children, but as adults. Galatians 4. Notice verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? The question is in regards to law versus grace. Which one do you follow? Now let's think about what's happening here in Galatians. Galatia, they were mixing law and grace. They were saying, yes, we're saved by faith alone, but we got to come over here and do the works of the law to prove that we are saved, to prove that we can stay saved, to prove whatever you come up with, we're doing it because we're boom. But keep reading. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Uh Uh-oh. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And everybody goes, "Huh? Right? You just did bondwoman, free woman. Blah, 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 blah. Well, let's go back up real quick, verse nineteen, because the question here has to do with our walk, and it has to do within our walk of the mixing of law and grace. By the way, just so you understand that, chapter three. Just look there real quick, chapter three, verse one. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, but who, before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, receive you the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? They are saints at Galatia. They're believers, but what did they do? They got hoodwinked into living, on, walking under the law in their flesh. The law's design is to fulfill the lust of your flesh. That's all it's been designed to do. Why? Because that proves to you you are a sinner. And you can't do it, and you need help. You need a helper. You need a comforter. You need a savior. You need a redeemer. (laughs) Okay? Now go back to chapter 4. Look at verse 19. My little children. It's interesting. Paul calls them little children. Why? Because they're acting like little children. You know what you do with little children when they're disobeying? Corporal punishment. You get them. Why? Because you don't want them. What do you want to do? Well, look what he says. My little children of whom I travail in birth again unto Christ, until Christ be what? Formed. What's the goal? Get Christ formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Boy, Paul is worried about them. I love that. Change his voice. Yeah. Being a dad and having a dad I know what it is to let my dad down and to hear his not-so-happy-with-you voice and then to hear the attaboy voice, right? (laughs) Paul's not happy with them, so he's being stern with them. And he goes, I want to come and change my voice with you. I want Christ to be formed. I want the edification process to work. It's not working because you've added the law to it. You're not growing. Verse 21, Tell me ye that desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Oh, boy, I love it. Don't you hear what the law says to you? You guys want to be teachers of the law, and you don't even understand the law. He says that in Timothy. They desire to be teachers, and they want to teach and do, but he don't, they don't get it. For it is written, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. Now he's going to, uh, verse uh, uh, 23, but he who was born, uh, uh, he w- who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory. So we have an allegory. You're going to take a literal historical event and you're going to apply a spiritual application to it. That's what he's doing. That's what an allegory is. Here's a historical event with, of Abraham. He went into Hagar. Hagar had Ishmael, bond woman, not and a son. But he was supposed to be over here with Sarah, free woman, and Isaac. Th- that's a historical event. And Paul's now going to bring it in to make a spiritual application to you and I, to the Galatians. Now watch him do it. That's all he's doing. He's not saying you are of Isaac. Thus, spiritual Israel. I've heard that. He's not saying you should be of Ishmael and be whatever. No, he's saying, look, guys, here's a spiritual application here. Abraham had two sons. Again, remember Romans 4. We were just there. What did he learn? You can't. The flesh ain't getting it done. Bond woman, Ishmael. Where was the promise? Sarah, free woman, Isaac. By the way, law and grace. Bond woman, law, bondage. Free woman, grace, free gift. See what's going on here? Grace is the gift of, it's a free gift principle. What God did was he opened up Sarah's womb. He didn't miraculously do what he did with Mary. He just went in and opened up Sarah's womb. Abraham did his part. and we have Isaac. Verse 24, which things are an allegory. For these are two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, now watch, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. That's key. Jerusalem where? On the earth. Right here, right now. Okay? Because look at the next verse. But Jerusalem, which is above, is what? Free, which is the mother of us all. You see how he just drew two, two Jerusalems? He said the one that's here on the earth belongs in the law. Bondage. Hagar. You don't want... Bond woman. You're not there. Where are we? Where's freedom? Where's liberty? Well, look at 5.1, just, so you, just in case you don't know. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You see, our belong, our life, our walk is to be where? In grace. That's where freedom is. He's not saying you belong in Isaac and all that. I just heard some goofy stuff. It's an allegory. Look, what does the law do? It puts you under bondage. It doesn't doesn't allow you to grow. It doesn't allow you to have freedom. It doesn't allow you to do... But man, we don't belong there. We belong. Freedom is our mother. (laughs) Freedom, grace, liberty. Verse 28. For we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now... (laughs) He's not tell, saying that we're in the covenant, we're in the Abrahamic covenant. We're, he says, as Isaac was. Who is Isaac? He's the son of the free woman. He's the son of the promise. What did, Abraham, what did God do with Sarah? By his grace, he opened her womb. What did he do with Abraham? You're going to have a seed. I'm going to do it for you. That's grace. You guys follow what's happening here? Because, folks, your Christian life isn't going to function on ignorance. It isn't going to function under the law. It's going to function where? Under grace and under freedom. So how do we get the allegory? What he's doing with the Galatians is, guys, we are the free gift of God's grace. That's who we are. That's where we are. We don't belong in this law stuff. You guys are mixing it up. Five, one, stand fast therefore in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't get into that mess. Get over here where you belong. I'm worried about you. I want to change my voice. He's yelling at him. get out of that law. That law's doing nothing but frustrating the grace of God. You're falling from the grace of God, he'll tell them. How did they fall? They got into bad doctrine. They got away from sound doctrine. They got away from following Paul. Look, look at verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Notice how he says that. I, Paul. Paul's the only one that can make that statement. And he's making a statement of who he is. Who is he? He's the, uh, as the apostle of the Gentiles. You know what's going on right now? Circumcision availeth nothing uncircumcision availeth nothing. The thing that's the issue is what? That new creature. And he's like, you dump, you guys are over here in that. You're being bewitched. You're foolish. Get out, stay out of that mess. Live your life over here in the freedom. The freedom caucus. (laughs) Get over here and live in freedom. How do we get Rescued from false doctrine. Well, we follow Paul. We follow what Paul teaches us. We ask the question, what saith the Scripture? That's our task moving forward. We are to be committed to taking God's Word, rightly divided, preaching God's grace, realizing who we are. We're not Israel. We're the body of Christ. Realizing we're not under the law, but rather we have a grace life to go live. Realizing that we are not alone. We have the Godhead on our side. You don't need a guardian angel. you got the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we need to adjust our thinking. Come over to 2 Corinthians 4. We need to think like God would think. We're to have our mind. We realize that we have the mind of Christ. We realize that we need to realize that not only do we have God on our side and we have his thinking, that we need to adjust our thinking to match his thinking. 2 Corinthians 4, we're just jumping in, verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward men perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What a way to think about life. Think about that. What I mean, tch, that's wonderful for our light affliction. Folks, is your affliction light? Not in your experience it isn't. It's hard. It's daunting. I texted Tom the other day. Hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. Haven't talked to you in a while. Nothing. Crickets. I'm like, man, I hope Tina hadn't killed him. Man, I'm just kidding. And I'm like, so I, I call. Goes to voicemail. I'm like, well, what's going on here? Text again. I call the home number. Voicemail. I'm like, all right, something's up. You know what's going on in my head, don't you? Worst case scenario, Tina killed him. He did. He's in a ditch somewhere. Okay? So I, I'm i like, okay. So then I reach out to Sarah, their daughter. Oh, they're on a trip and dad's phone got I'm like, oh gee, whiz. Woo. For a whole week I'm sitting here stressing about this. The guy couldn't have called, you know, just pick up the phone, I'm right here. and No, he didn't even know until Sarah told him, I'm sure. Well, I did leave a message on the home number. Okay. That's not a light affliction. Oh, Spiral down. But the light affliction is but for a what? A moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of what? Glory. What's forever? Glory. i got to adjust my thinking. Verse 18. How do I adjust my thinking? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know what I'm going to do? How I'm going to adjust my thinking is by a walk of faith. A a walk of faith in what saith the Scriptures. Folks, stress does not come from what happens in your life. Stress comes from how you think about what is going on in your life. That's where stress comes from. Because what's going on in your life that makes you stressful, if it was happening in my life, it wouldn't make me stressful. It isn't the circumstances. Paul is thrown in jail. He doesn't pray, God deliver me. He says, man, the word of God is not bound. I'm just motoring with it. My circumstances is is an opportunity to live as who I am in Christ in it. Romans 15, verse 13 is a wonderful verse. What saith the scriptures? Hey, I, I need to realize who I am. I release who I'm not. I need to adjust my thinking to match his thinking. And where my thinking and his thinking don't match, his thinking is right because it's the Word. It's his Word. When I read my Scripture, when I read this Bible, it's a King James Bible, I am reading, I am talking directly to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is where I meet him. I meet him on the pages of his Word, rightly divided. And when I do that, and I have that walk of faith, then I'm adjusting. I'm resetting my life. Romans 15, verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And what? In believing. If you have no joy, you have no hope, you have no peace, you ain't believing. That's, that verse says he's going to fill you with what? Joy and peace when in believing. What say the scriptures? that walk of faith. Believing, by the way, the believing there is going to be the doctrines found in the book of Romans. That, why? The intent, that ye may be, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Boy, what what great hope we have in who, understanding and who we are in Christ. You see how it brings it all back to the obedience of Christ, brings it all back to him and what he accomplished. So as we begin to delve into the sound doctrine, what Paul's teaching us, the motto is, what saith the scripture? Not what Rick says, because I can be wrong, but that verse is never wrong. And where we're going to have our hope is in believing what these verses say. Take them, adjust our thinking with them, and then go live them. And when we do that, we can walk worthy of the Lord. Why? I'm resetting my thinking. Sometimes we get off, bring it back. We get off, bring it back, bring it back. That's okay. He knows you're going to do that. That's why he'll say, remember. (laughs) Remember, I bring you to mind. Remember. Why? Because he knows we get going and we need to be recentered. Dear only Father, we thank you for the morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the word centers on you and who we are in you. And Lord, I pray as we go today and as we enjoy the events of the day with our family and our friends, that we would do so with you on our minds and our thoughts and with honoring and glorifying you. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In your name we pray.